Hi there, thanks for joining us today. It's good to be sharing with you. I hope, like me, you've been making the most of the, the little bits of freedom that we've been getting in recent weeks, uh, using the time to reconnect with family, with friends, with neighbors and colleagues, with church family, after such a long time where we couldn't. But things don't always work out at these times as we think. Some of you may know I should have been preaching last week uh, and uh, having been to our first Sunday church service for 13 or 14 months with my eldest son and his family in Leeds, we were required to self-isolate because someone tested positive for COVID. But as you can see, we've been released back into the wild. It's just a reminder that normal life is not with us quite yet. I hope too, though, you're making the most of the range of opportunities that are, are on offer as we seek to find ways to help you reconnect, whether that's through uh, our live preaches on a Wednesday, through uh, the various events we've got on, through connect groups uh, and through uh, sign-up groups as well. And there are some other things going on which I'll touch on uh, as I go through this morning. But as we prepare our hearts and our minds in this time of transition, it's very natural for us to look to the Bible for wisdom from above. Although the, the events it records are from many, many years ago, it contains lessons which are bang up to date and which can help us and are relevant to our situation now. So today we're continuing our Coming Home series where we're exploring the Bible book of Ezra which tells us how God's chosen people, the Jews, were returned to the promised land after 70 years exile in a foreign country. If you've missed uh, the earlier ones, you can catch up with all of them here on our Hope Church Winchester YouTube channel. Uh, but let me just quickly summarize. In previous weeks, we've seen that God, in a demonstration, He controls everything and that He keeps His promises worked through Cyrus, the king of Persia, to allow the Jews to return and rebuild. And we've seen how God also stirred the hearts of some of his people to return, though not all of them returned at once. And those that God prepared returned to the land God gave them to rebuild a culture and to reclaim a life that God had given them, but which they'd lost through their own disobedience. We've seen how they went about restoring the things that they had lost despite opposition, restoring things that were so precious to them, the place of gathering, of worship, and the presence of God. So let's dip back into the story in Ezra chapter 3. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes, and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout praising the Lord because of the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. 
The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. Once God's people were back, they set about rebuilding the altar, the place of worship, the place of sacrifice. We spoke about their attitude of worship before work, of offering sacrifices before they started. And once they'd done that, they set about rebuilding the temple. Let me remind you, the temple uh, represented the place where God lived where they met him, where they encountered him, the place where they gathered to worship, and it was central to their way of life. Now, of course, for us today, as Christians, the building is not our temple. And perhaps that's something we've been pushed to, to reappreciate uh, during lockdown, that God is with each one of us all of the time. That his presence is there, as Jesus promised, when we gather in twos and threes. That he can be encountered anywhere, even through YouTube, even through Zoom, whether we're locked in or let out. Yet the Middlebrook Center, which is where I'm standing right now, is an amazing gift from God to us. It enables us to do so much, to love and serve our city, to reach out to them to offer the hope that Jesus brings. If you haven't already, I hope you'll visit our Outreach to the City uh, window along Friars Gate. Come and see our original artworks. Come and hear a video message of hope just by scanning a track and trace-like QR code. And if you have, share it on social media. Tell your friends, let's create a buzz. Let's let the city know that we have a God who comes and meets us in our darkest moments. Now, as I've said, we've been learning, haven't we, that God is with us all the time. But corporate worship, the worship when we gather together, is unique. It's special. We have missed it. God chooses to presence himself when we gather together in very special ways. So it is as important to us as it was to God's people of old. So as soon as the foundations of the temple were laid, what did they do? They paused to worship again. The builders laid down their tools. The priests got out their glad rags. The musicians limbered up. The people gathered. It was party time. It was a time to celebrate. They paused to celebrate what God had done with them and through them to that point. One of the exhibits you'll see in our Space to Reflect inside the NBC recalls the Bible story where Samuel gets the people of Israel to create a pile of stones as a constant reminder of how God has led them to this place. And I think we can still see that sort of thing, not with piles of stones, but maybe like you, like me, you've seen uh, important buildings, civic buildings, where there's a foundation stone that was laid by some worthy politician or, or industrialist or something. Now, bear in mind, the temple wasn't built. There was no great spire. There was no impressive facade. 
yet they celebrated the significance of the moment, the event. They marked it. They marked it with worship. And at each stage, as we make our way towards, we hope, a normality before too long, we've been marking the significance of these moments and the way that the Lord has led us. I wonder, are you ready to celebrate that God has led us through this time and is now leading us out? Are we ready to celebrate at every stage what God has done in us and through us? And notice how they celebrate. It was with worship. They paused to mark the moment with praise and with thanks to God. They sang, he is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. And that's the truth still. So as we come together, it's right that we will celebrate. Despite this dreadful pandemic, despite all that has happened, there have been many things for which we are rightly thankful to God. And so when we return, we should be thankful. Each and every one of those things is a demonstration of our God who is good and who has shown his faithful love to us. God was the centerpiece of their celebration and he should be the centerpiece of ours. Enjoy the gifts, celebrate the giver. And it all culminated in a great shout of praise, a memorable day. But the writer also records from some interesting and perhaps surprising details, because it appears this was not only a time for celebration, it was a time of mixed emotions. Although they gathered as one man with a common purpose, although they had a shared passion, we read that the great noise that went up to God in praise and worship actually masked two very different responses. Mingled together, rising up to God, were shouts of joy and cries of weeping. Now that might seem a little odd, Perhaps it does to you. Surely this was a time for partying. Doesn't it say in the Bible book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything and a season for everything under heaven. And doesn't it go on to say there's a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance? Yes, it does. But I think these times in Ecclesiastes are not always the same time for everybody at one moment. Individuals may be in different seasons at the same time. So what was going on at this foundation party? Well, while some celebrated, others wept, and it was mostly the older ones. Why? Well, we're told because they had seen the previous temple. They had experienced the amazing presence of God in the previous temple. And now, they wept for their loss. They mourned for what had been. They grieved for what would never be the same. But the sound mingles together and rises up to God. God hears. He sees the joy, the tears. And nowhere does it say that this is unacceptable to him. The sound rose up to God altogether. But God hears each heart. 
He sees each person. He hears each voice, happy or sad. He knew each individual. He knew what was going on in their heart. He hears and he knows your joy, your heartache. He shares in your laughter. He gathers your tears in a bottle. They're so precious. He is worthy of our praise and our worship all the time. And worship in tears is just being honest. It is acceptable to God. It's not being a party pooper. Because God looks at the heart. So as we worship, we can be real. We do not need to pretend. Singing praise through tears is no contradiction. Some years ago, when I was still involved in leading worship, my mum was in a care home, not far from here, actually, in the final stages of dementia. And I got a call from my brother one weekend to say, you really need to get down. They don't think she's going to last the weekend. So by God's grace, because I was 400 miles away, I got the last seat on the last plane, and I got down and I spent a day with my mum. I held her hand, I talked to her, I sang her favorite hymns, I prayed for her. I thought she might have gone a couple of times, but she hadn't, and I went back home. The following day, I was leading worship, and I was on my way to pick up the guy with the drums. It's always the guy with the drums, isn't it? And as I was picking him up, my phone went to say that my mum had died. I led that morning with tears, but I don't believe that was any less worship to my God. It was full of thanks and heartache and praise. We don't need to pretend with God, folks. We can be ourselves. He sees our heart. So in any large gathering, there'll be many different, even opposite things going on at any one time. And all the more so at the end of this season, that we have been through. When we regather, think of this, there'll be some who've been mourning those who've passed away. There'll be some who are celebrating new birth. There'll be some for whom things are going well, some for whom it's not so good, success and failure. There'll be newly married people. There'll be people who are newly married, but it was nothing like their dream. There'll be those, sadly, whose marriages have broken. There'll be those with new jobs, those who have lost jobs, changes that went uncelebrated at school, students going to uni, but not it being anything like what they expected. There'll be good times and hard times. I think we're gonna find that there are very different people in very different places as we come back. Some of us, we can't wait. We want a great knees up, a good old party, get the band out. Some of us are nervous and unsure. Some of us have got used to a different way of doing things. And if we're honest, we might even prefer it. Some of us may just want to hide. At this foundation party, they wept for the temple they knew. Now we are the temple now. That's what the Bible teaches us individually, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God and together being built into a temple of living stones. But we're all returning to some extent with loss. We will never be the same. And we may justifiably weep for what we have lost. 
and for some it's great and wrong. That's why we've tried to provide a space here at the NBC where you can come and just spend an hour encountering God with some amazing uh, exhibits, artistic exhibits that might help you process what you have been through in this time. So as we begin to regather, it won't be the same. Why not? Because we are not the same. God has been resetting us. Some of the things, the ways we have done things are simply that, just the ways we have done things. Good for a season, but maybe it's a new season. And so I encourage you, as we anticipate coming back, to anticipate different. Anticipate different. And how do we navigate this season? We need to make space and have grace for each other. Because this was not just a time of celebration or a time of mixed emotions. It was a time for grace. In Romans 12, we have a load of instructions about how we are to live in the light of all that God has done for us. This is how we should live. And in the middle of it, in verse 15, we read this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Sounds good, doesn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Well, it may sound good, but what does it actually mean? Am I required to manufacture some false emotion that's the opposite of what I'm feeling? Am I required to sort of pretend that I feel the same as someone else? Well, I don't think so. I think we get an idea of what it means in a number of Bible verses. Let me read them to you. Ephesians 4:32 says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Romans 15:7 says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Colossians 3:12 says, so as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, I think a broad description of those characteristics is grace. Grace. We need grace. And notice how we're always instructed on what we should do on the basis of what God has done for us. Forgive, just like God has forgiven you. Accept, just like God has accepted you. It's all about what he's done for us. We can have grace for one another because we have received grace from God because of what God has done for us. And our efforts not go, don't go into manufacturing grace, of trying to sort of conjure it up, our efforts should go into receiving it from God. To daily receive and put ourselves in a position of taking in afresh the grace of God. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another, just like God is with us. Someone else's loss may seem trivial to me, but it may not be to them. God knows and accepts each one of us, so we must accept one another, even where we think very differently. 
it's okay to be where you are, and it's okay for them to be in a different place. I want to tell you, God loves party animals, and he loves party poopers. And whichever you are, or wherever you are in between as we regather, God loves you and accepts you. It's worth saying, grace, of course, works both ways. Grace is not just about happy people telling sad people to cheer up, nor is it about sad people telling happy people to pipe down, because how can you be so happy when things are so rubbish? It's about extending grace to someone who is not where you are. It may mean setting aside your own feelings, your own desires to reach out to someone else. Now, I don't think that's easy. One of the things this pandemic surely has done is to polarize people and to polarize opinions. When you're excited and pumped up, it's really hard to understand what is wrong with people who aren't. We're back. How can you not be excited? What is wrong with you? How can you not be dancing when we're free after all these months of misery? We need grace. And when you're mourning, it's hard to understand how anybody could be excited. That brilliant poem, Stop the Clocks by W.H. Auden, which appears in Four Weddings and a Funeral, captures that feeling of loss. Stop the clock, stop everything. How can the world be going on when my life has fallen apart? We need grace, my brothers and sisters. And this is not me, and this is not the Bible telling us to play nicely. I want you to hear that. This is not about uh, you really should behave this way. I used to do that sometimes with my kids. I would put them in a room. I'd say, now play nicely. I just want to go and sit down and have a little bit of peace and quiet. Play nicely. <laughs> well, there's no doubt that if, if we as a church all play nicely, my life as one of the leadership would be a lot easier. But that's not what I'm saying. I believe God is looking for something deeper than that. I think we all know that we need God's help. Without his spirit in us, it's impossible for us to love as Jesus told us to. Without his help, we can't do it. So the only way I'm going to be able to have grace in this for you, for everyone, is if I am freshly receiving grace from God. That's what I need. It's much more than giving leaders an easy life. Let's go back to a couple of verses in Romans 15 and hear them we read a bit earlier. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Did you spot that? I want to draw your attention as to what this is all about. It's the so that and in order to. Paul prays for unity and acceptance so that we may glorify God. And he prays in order to bring him praise. This is not an exhortation to be nice because it's good to be nice, just like it's good to share. It's an exhortation to offer to others what God has given to us. 
and it brings praise to God. This, my friends, is about the glory of God. And that can have a massive impact. I think that's going to impact especially new people who may have connected with us online or through social media, who perhaps will come for the first time as we start to gather. I pray that they may find a welcome and grace and acceptance among us. If we, having drunk freshly from God's love and grace for us, can truly accept one another, truly love one another, have grace for each other, be kind and compassionate to one another, I believe that will be like the loud noise that we read about in Ezra. I believe that will be something that becomes known far away. We'll be a community that people know about. And I pray it will attract others to come and find what it's all about. Find a father, find a home, just as God has promised. Just as I close, I want to remind you that we have a promise from Jesus about this. This is what he said. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. As we seek to move in ever more grace by receiving the grace of God, I believe God will show the world that we are his disciples and he will build his church. One of the descriptions of the early church in, in Acts chapter 4 was simply this, that great grace was on them all. Please join me as I pray. Father, we acknowledge, along with your people of old, that you are so good and that your faithful love endures forever. And we thank you, Lord, that we have come to know that faithful love. Lord, we thank you that whatever we have experienced over this last year or so, you have been with us. You have not left us. And Lord, as we approach the time when we will gather again, I pray for us as a church that by your Spirit, Lord, great grace would be on us all. That the power of the Holy Spirit will cause us so to experience afresh your love and your grace, Lord that we would be able to grace through the issues that we face, to grace through our dis disagreements, Lord, to grace through our differences, Lord, and that we will gather as one and that as one noise rises up to you in heaven, that your name would be glorified and that it would be heard afar off. I ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen.